Welcome to our Thursday edition of Chris Babry Live, the program from the heart, for the heart, to the heart. Part of the privilege we have at Moody Radio is that we are affiliated with Moody Bible Institute, and because of that, we have access to professors and teachers and visitors who come through the halls of Moody, speakers we get to hear from, and they tell us what God is doing in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost. This week is Missions Conference at Moody, and the theme this year is Creative Expressions Centered in Christ. And we have three of the participants who are going to join us today. I think you're going to be encouraged by them. And if there is any part of you that says, you know, I've always felt this nudge towards some kind of mission work, and you don't know what to do with that, I want you to listen to the conversation we're going to have straight ahead at the Radio Backyard Fence. Let me begin by thanking our team. Ryan McConaughey's doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Lynn will be answering your calls today. Thank you, friends and partners, for your support. We have a missions-minded thank you this month written by a man with a heart for what breaks the heart of God, and that is people who do not have a relationship with him through Jesus. Is there anybody like that on your mind today? The book I'd love to send you is A Life That Matters. Ron Hutchcraft was with us a week ago, and he believes in foreign missions, but he also believes you have been divinely appointed to make a difference in the lives of the people who are around you right now, today, your family, your friends, your neighborhood, your work. This book is like engaging your spiritual radar for the people who need the grace and the mercy of Jesus. It's practical. It's biblical. I went through a section today. It's about how to craft your Jesus story. What was like before Christ? What was your life like? What was the turning point? And then what it's been after Christ. Call and give a gift. You'll support the program, and I'd love to send you a life that matters. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org or call that number 866-953-2279. The next section I'm going to read tomorrow in the book says, Often pain is your platform to reach into another person's life. Again, just go to chrisfabrylive.org or call 866-95-FABRY. One more quote from Ron. Their hearts, meaning those who don't know Jesus, their hearts are hungry not to become more religious, but to have the lifelong hole in their heart filled, to have their failures forgiven, to have some lasting love and peace, to make a new beginning. And I want to say that as we, you know, from Ron, as we present Three people who are in the studio today participating in the missions conference who are living that out and want you to as well. First up is Mariam Johannes. She is a scripture engagement specialist, translation advisor, and instructor serving in Ethiopia with Wycliffe Bible Translators. She teaches ethnomusicology, and I told her that I really like that because it, it makes me sound smart <laughs> when I can say a long word like that. But she also teaches arts and story-based trauma healing workshops with minority language people groups. And she also teaches at, and I didn't ask you, but I'm going to try, Makane Jesus Seminary. Is that close, Mariam? Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> You're very kind. Uh, she holds degrees from Minnesota's Northwestern University and Biola University's linguistic program. Mariam, welcome to the program. Thanks for traveling all the way. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for having us. Dr. James Craybill served in West Africa for 14 years as a Bible and church history teacher among African-initiated churches in AICs 
in village settings, Bible institutes, and on theological faculties. When I think of of Western, West Africa, I think of Ghana. Were you mm-hmm. anywhere near Ghana? Next door. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next door to Ghana. I'll say that next. He holds an MDiv from Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary, PhD from University of Birmingham in England. He's written, authored, edited numerous articles, several books, including Does Your Church Smell Like Mission? <laughs> I got to ask you about that. And uh, a couple of years ago, Unless a Grain of Wheat... He retired after 42 years as a mission worker and administrator with Mennonite Mission Network, continues to teach. Dr. Crable, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us. Good to be here, Chris. And number three, Dr. not last but not least, Dr. Robin Harris has served for decades in cross-cultural context, including 10 years in northern Russia— and the first thought that I had, that's not Siberia. Is that Siberia? <laughs> it's Siberia. For, mo- for most of the time, we were in Siberia. So it's in the Arctic uh, Circle thing up in the top, right? You got it right. We lived in Yakutsk, which is the coldest Yakutsk. inhabited city on Earth. Is it really? It is. Do you still have the coat that you wore? <laughs> no, I don't. It was too heavy to bring in my luggage. <laughs> uh, in addition to serving as chair of Dallas International University's Center for Excellence in World Arts... She serves as president of the Global Ethnodoxology Network. Now, there's another word I get to say, <laughs> G-E-N, a network for arts and mission workers that she helped launch in 2003, uh, holds an MA Ethnomusicology from Bethel University, MA in Intercultural Studies from Columbia International University, and a PhD in music from the University of Georgia. Uh, welcome, Robin. <laughs> Dr. Harris, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Chris. It's great to be here. Okay, so... Let's just let's just go. Let's let me begin with something easy and something hard. Why? Wh- what has God called you to do? Describe that, and how did you know He wanted you to do it? Uh, Mariam, start. We'll start with you. Okay, so I grew up on the border of Kenya and Ethiopia, and we speak a lot of multiple languages. So as a girl, I said I want to serve the Lord with language. <laughs> But I didn't want it to be like a pastor or like evangelist. I just say, Lord, I'm going to serve you with languages. But then I came to the States uh, and then uh, did biology major and even didn't think about mission or anything. But then after I graduated, the Lord started speaking to me and he said, no, you need to go back to missions. And I was like, what? I'm like, no, 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 Lord. I will pray for missionaries. I will send many, but not me. But then the Lord is like, no, you have to go. That's when the Holy Spirit started reminding me of Wycliffe Bible translators, uh, linguistics, and translation. So I prayed and prayed for it to go away, but it (laughs) didn't. So I finally said, yes, Lord, let your will be done. And then he opened the rest. So that's where his story starts. When you said yes to him then and what he was calling you to do, was there, a, you know, didn't want to necessarily, but was there a freedom that you felt from that? Oh, yes. Because I was running from him like Jonah did in the Bible. But after I said yes, you know, I have this peace like in my heart, in my mind. And then I said, okay, yes, Lord. So, yes, you get that relief. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything in that story, Dr. Crable, that reminds you of you? Well, I grew up in a very different context than our sister did. Um, 
in a somewhat closed Mennonite community, um, <clears throat> but then ended up being called uh, to West Africa through a Mennonite mission agency and having my world um, just enlarged and beyond anything I could imagine. Um, I did biblical theological studies and was very focused on text and written documents. And then I land up in a place where orality is the primary way of communicating. And I have found myself having to shift gears in a major way. Whenever you engage people of another culture or some other setting, um, you may have things, you think you have things to contribute, but you also learn at least as much uh, as you contribute. And so, so you were more comfortable then with the, the, the teaching, with the text, with the reading, and you get into a culture that is more oral tradition. Right. And so you have to morph, right? Right. Well, I mean, so one of the things I started noticing was how much Jesus lived in an oral culture. Uh, you know, he told parables, he told stories, and that was what I was finding in an African context. Um, so I found even in my teaching that things started to change um, rather than, you know, trying to create an outline with 10 points and standing in front of people and reading a long text. I found myself communicating more orally through storytelling and other things because that's what people do. Exactly. And and so when you changed, did it? Did you feel like you went deeper then with what you could have done with a, a really nice overhead, <laughs> you know, re, really nice whatever they call that thing that you, that you put up on the on the screen? Right. Well, for starters, in most of the settings where I taught, we didn't have electricity, so I didn't have the chance to do an overhead. <laughs> no powerpoints <laughs> um, for that. So yeah. there you go. I mean, it 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 changes dramatically the way you think about communication. You can't rely on handouts or written texts or PowerPoints. Uh, you have to stand in front of a group and think, how do I engage people, many of whom is sitting in the room can't necessarily read or it comes difficult for them. Uh, how, how do you communicate the gospel? So, you know, I eventually formed, uh, was part of a group that was asking questions like, how do you do theological training without paper? Mm. That's a shock because most of us can't imagine that. And yet when you look at Jesus's ministry, so much of it is just oral teaching and communicating and relating and building a team and hanging out with people and eating Always yes. eating. Jesus is always eating, uh, hanging out with people and sharing their lives. That's, can we can yep. we have a degree in ethno etiology? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other interesting thing I find about that is that, as far as I know, there are only two times when Jesus actually hosts the meal. He's always eating in somebody else's house. How does that work out for you? Yes. Okay, so Dr. Robin Harris is coming up. She gets the same question, and I'm going to open the phone lines for you, too. This is really engaging because we're going to get to the creativity. We've already heard a little bit about it, but the creativity that comes with teaching the gospel, with preaching the gospel through art, and we'll talk about that straight ahead on Moody Radio. Moody Radio. 
This week is Missions Conference at Moody Bible Institute. The theme is Creative Expressions Centered in Christ. And we have a link to it, and you can actually see some of the sessions online. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org, click through today's information, where you can see Mariam Johannes from Ethiopia, as well as Dr. James Crable, who served in West Africa for 14 years. And now we turn to Dr. Robin Harris, who for 10 years was in northern Russia, in Siberia, And Dr. Crable just said that his world enlarged when he went to West Africa. Does that resonate with you? Oh, my goodness. Russia just blew my mind. It changed my life in so many ways. And one of the main things that happened while I was there, and it's the topic of what I talked about here at Moody, was that uh, most of my life, and I grew up as a missionary kid, so I, I was passionate about missions. I was also a musician. I, you know, when we went to Russia, I had a degree in music, but those two worlds in my life were never put together until we landed in Russia as a part of a church in a multinational church planning team, mostly Russians and Ukrainians. Um, and as we begin to try to work and plant this multicultural church, I realized that the minority group of the Saha, their arts and music were not being at all reflected in the worship of the church. So we began to think about how can we encourage them to worship the Lord with their own heart arts, their music and their poetry and their dances and their beautiful visual arts. And that whole learning process, that's part of the reason why I got those MAs, was to try to integrate that artistic part of who I am with missions. And I realized that that intersection was the discipline that has now come to be called ethnodoxology. Mm. And so it's the integration of arts and mission in a way where you're encouraging local people to use the arts that God has given them in their context, the arts that they can create in, to worship Him, to respond to Him, and His work in their lives. So, yeah, ethnodoxology was my big discovery in Siberia. So that would mean, then, that that you're not importing the Western church's music and making them sing in English and the, you know, they're, they're singing their own music or their own hymnody, um, right. in, in their context. See, I grew up in Appalachia, Appalachia, so very much the bluegrass music and, and, uh, stringed instruments, right. uh, mandolin and guitar that's, and banjo, you know, that's very much in my blood, but then you go to church and you'll hear that. It's like, okay, well, I, I got to do this with the, with the organ, piano, whatever. What was your degree in? What instrument? It was in piano, you know, classical piano. I did the typical program that most people do. And I remember hearing about ethnomusicology when I was an undergrad and thinking, ooh, that's like not attractive. <laughs> but it was that experience of being on the field and seeing how it affects people when they can worship the Lord using their own arts. Um, it just makes a huge difference in how they connect with God. So that's what convinced me was really I came to it as a church planner. Mariam, you you do the same thing with ethnomusicology and with arts, right? Tell me about that. So it's the same thing as Robin was saying. Ethnodoxology is like people and praises. So ethnomusicology is just people and music or ethno arts, where all this combine eth- ethnic or people and then arts. We combine 
all this with the people so that they're able to create their own songs, they're able to create their own arts uh, and glorify God. So it used to be like, you know, we go and we give them, you have to sing this way, you have to write. And now the locals have their owner, have the ownership to write their own songs, to dance, uh, use mu- their own musical uh, style and instruments to play and to sing. So it's just we gave them the freedom by them coming up with the songs and in mm. the style that they want using the scripture. Do you play an instrument, Mariam? I do. What do you play? So I play guitar, I play drums. Uh, really? And then I play, there is a, this a musical instrument called kayamba. If you have been to Kenyans or like Ugandans, it's like a hand used. So I play that too. Is it, is it a percussion thing? Is it a, like a djembe or something like kayamba? I got to look that up. Yeah. It's like a percussion. It's okay. made out of like a... Uh, bamboo trees and then there is like either they put like seeds or like stones like small ones inside really? and then you can hear yeah like when it's like you a shake waterfall it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah okay so so we've got the piano we got the guitar the kayamba dr crable uh you're on bass and i'll there we go <laughs> and i'll play uh just acoustic guitar we got a group what should we call ourselves i'm not sure <laughs> um <laughs> The, the the book that you wrote that I, I said I was going to ask you about, does your church smell like mission? What is that all about? What does it, a mission smell like? Hmm. Well, for starters, it was more of an article than a book, that particular one. But it's it's probably the most famous thing I ever wrote. You know, it's just this little reflection. I think it's the title that makes people wonder, what are you talking about? The, the short version of it is I was asked for a period of time to do what we called mission education in the churches. And <clears throat> at one informal gathering, I made the comment, you know, when I walk into a church, before I even meet the people, I can just tell if if this church smells like mission. And they said, what does that mean? Could you write an article about that? Which was horrible because... It, I started out by saying, so if someone asks you, what does pizza smell like? How are you going to answer that question? But because they asked me to write about it, I, I started reflecting and, um, you know, described everything from the physical appearance of whether the world seems to be on their agenda or whether they're very locally uh, focused. But then ultimately, is God's mission in the DNA of the people? Do they care about anybody but themselves? Uh, and it just became this reflection on um, how important mission is to the identity and the activities of a faith community. And it's not something that you can do a list, you know, mm-hmm. do these 10 things and then you'll smell, smell exactly. like mission. It is more a heart thing, it sounds that's, like. Is that right? That's true. But it's reflected in activities. And budgets. Meaning, okay, yes, yes, <laughs> budgets. And when and when missionaries come through who are being supported by the church, there's room for them to to speak or to to talk about what's going on, right? Right. I mean, literally, if a congregation hasn't thought about mission since your last trip home, uh, mm-hmm. it's like an intrusion in their ordinary activities. 
if mission is central to what they're doing, they get you immediately. They've got brilliant questions they want to ask you, and they're thinking about what God's up to in the world. Right. And I think we're missing something when we're, when we're not moving toward that, you know, in, in whatever context. With this program, we're missing something that's on God's heart, as mm-hmm. I mentioned a little earlier, uh, if we're not thinking about what he he cares about. So, Dr. Harris, back to you then, is what encourages you about the modern mission movement, about especially what you're doing with the music and with the the expression of the creative expression that you're talking about here. Well, Chris, one of the things that encourages me so much is we all sense, all of us in this room and the plenary speakers at the Moody Conference this week, we are all sensing just a move of God in the world right now that young people, and by that I mean, you know, people especially under 50, but there's this move of people recognizing that they want to use arts and mission. I don't I don't know if there's ever been anything like it before, but ethnodoxology as a discipline is reaping the benefits of this. Um, people really want, they want to find that intersection of arts and mission. So I teach in the program, I had the program at Dallas International University for world arts. So they have a master's program, we have an, uh, an undergrad and a, and a PhD in world arts. And we just keep having lots of students who wants to do this degree. So I'm excited about that. I feel like there's a a special place in history that just the way people are responding to the gospel is happening better through the arts than it is in a lot of other ways. So I'm happy about that. And Mariam, not only responding to the gospel, but also finding healing from trauma. You use ethnomusicology and arts and story-based storytelling in in workshops for people. Tell me what you do and who it helps. So when people either go through trauma or after traumatic event, uh, people might not be able to talk what they went through or they don't even have words to express or explain their emotions and their feelings, that's where ethno arts music comes in. So they are able to express their pain, uh, their feeling through music or through art. Especially kids, you give them painting or like a marker and say, draw what you went through or give them toys, then they can tell you, Actively, actively as they play, they tell you what they went through. So it's the same for adults. So instead of just telling them, talk to me, what have you been you know, going through? But say, can you write it as a song? Can you write your lament? Because that's full in the Bible with the lamentation and all the Psalms and everything. And you say, can you just write your laments? What are you feeling? Can you tell it to God? And then they're able to express that. And then once they start like talking about it or singing or sing about it or using arts and just creating what they went through. Is it like a grief process or is it uh, like somebody who's sick or is, is it depression? And once they start expressing those, then they're relieved out of their own uh, traumatic event. So it really helps them. It changes their lives and it's built uh, the broken relationship between people and between God. So we use a lot. 
Can you give me an example of someone, you don't have to say a name or anything, but mm-hmm. what someone, maybe a child, they, what they've been through and what they sang about? Yeah. Can I use an adult? Absolutely. Okay. So uh, I can tell you of Mama Grace because she's an amazing uh, woman of God. She's in Zaleka camp in refugee right now. Uh, before trauma healing, she said her life was just full of, you know, pain and suffering. But then after she went through trauma healing, her life just changed. And now she leads like worship. And she just says, you know, God is a true God. God is with us. And she sings Emmanuel and praises the Lord. And she started event uh, Tanzama, which is a trauma healing group and center that she helps people. So she sings a lot of uh, praises and lament song now. I love it. I'm so glad I asked that because it gives our listeners an insight into your context, you know, exactly what you're going through. But also it's the context of somebody listening today. What could happen? What kind of freedom could they have in their own lives if they were to do that very same thing and lament with the song or with the written word that they can use? So you've just heard from Mariam Johannes. We're also talking with Dr. James Crabill and Dr. Robin Harris. All three are participating at Moody Bible Institute. I'm going to open the phone lines if you'd like to talk with them. Ask a question, Robin Harris, Dr. James Craybill, and Mariam Johannes are joining us. They are at Moody Bible Institute this week at the Missions Conference. And we're talking about creativity, the arts, and how it can be used uh, in people's lives around the world, down the, down the street. And I really like this theme this year because it affirms somebody like me because I'm very much energized by stories, by music, by the arts. But the, my, the approach to missions, when, when I, I attended Moody Bible Institute, and I thought that, well, if I'm going to really serve God, then I've got to be a pastor or a missionary uh, or in some kind of full-time service that, that way. I've got to fit into this mold. And if I'm going to be in missions, there's only a couple of things, and I can't fly a plane. Nobody would let me behind the controls. So I need to, can't do mission aviation. I've got to either be a Bible translator, and I like, I like words. You know, I could probably try to figure out what that is. Be a Bible translator or some kind of a Bible teacher or pastor. or That's the only way to fit in. And what you three are saying is, no, no, you we can use <laughs> we can use some creative knucklehead like you on the on the field wherever. Robin, why don't you say something about that? It's so true. That's I think the great discovery of this time uh in God's mission is that he's really using all different kinds of people and artists of all kinds have been for a long time, actually been marginalized from the church. That's not just here in America. That is all over the world. 
And so this movement of ethnodoxologists is engaging artists all over the world uh, to tell truth, uh, to to witness to God's work. So um, we're artists can be engaged, but all kinds of people can be engaged engaged in God's mission. James, you agree with that? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is expanding our understanding of what the arts are. Because when you say uh, arts and mission, pe- many people will say, "I don't draw and I don't sing." So I guess that doesn't concern me. But what we're discovering, even in like the PhD program, is that people are exploring so many new realms of this conversation that you wouldn't necessarily or automatically think of. So we have people doing things on architecture or cuisine. Eating you know, and preparing food is an art form. Uh, I had a friend at at Fuller um, who who said he likes to think of himself as a as a cuisine missiologist, <laughs> and he looked at the Bible and all the eating that happens, and then how that reflects a culture. I mean, this is just one area. When you start expanding what you mean by that, and and recognize how biblically founded it is, um, you go in as many directions as there are people. Yes. Mariam, would you agree? Yes, because uh, even as myself, I was a biology major, and now I use even that uh, to sing how our God is a creator of everything, and especially, you know, when you talk about the digestive system, the heart organs, and when you talk about those, sometimes it's hard to explain to people, but when you use those terms and make it Sing, you know, what God has done, and you say, this is our God. Let's use arts. Let's use music. We can do so many things with it. So, yes, you don't have to be a pastor or, like, a music major to join mission because you can be anything, and God can use you as long as you say yes to him. If I come to Ethiopia, can I play the Koyomba? <laughs> yes. Yes, you may. <laughs> I think I think I could do that. Yes. Okay, so— uh, Dr. Crable, you said something in the break, and now I forgot what it was. It was really important that you, <laughs> that you wanted to talk about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, sort of the reputation or the 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 sort of the impression that people have of missions is that they are people who come with an agenda and a package deal yes. that everyone has to embrace, and that includes cultural importation. So we know what kind of music God loves the best. And so either the receiving culture doesn't have music, I mean, that would be the accusation, or it's diabolical music, or it's unusable music, but we know what God really wants and what is sacred music. Um, And so we bring it because it's sacred to us. It's part of our tradition. Um, Ethnodoxologists take a different approach. They actually believe that God has given to every culture what they need in music and artistic expression for the life and worship and mission of the church. People can borrow and make use of other people's artistic expressions, but they don't have to. So that means that you start with listening doing research, doing inventories of what God has already given people, and then 
with local believers begin to discern um, how that can be used for God's purposes. It's a it's a different starting point. Yes. How did that happen in Siberia, Ram? Well, we just began to learn and appreciate more about Saha music and arts. And to really, I mean, even we were not worshiping in our own heart arts, so we kind of felt for them. It was the first time in my life, you know, 18 months away from, you know, worshiping in the ways that I was used to. So I began to feel for the Saha people. And then as we lived with them and and learned more about their arts, began to discover how deep and powerful they were. At first, they just sounded strange and different, but the more you study something and the more you understand it and the people that are behind it, the more you begin to appreciate it. So, you know, doing some of those master's level studies I did was really learning to appreciate and value the arts that they had to offer to the Lord. And we were able to encourage that. There was an arts group that was formed and you know, they would do projects like festivals of new songs and things like that. So they really uh, began to own the fact that they could use their arts uh, in, in the worship and witness of the church. In so, that context, then, there there is, especially the festival, then other people are hearing this outside of the church that are not coming in the church walls. And so they hear this and it it interests them. So there's an evangelistic aspect to it. But that's not the the beginning impetus. It's simply to get the music that we enjoy and and uh, we gravitate toward to to tell the truth about who God is, and then others hear that. That's what I right, hear. Right, and say. it's not just the music either. It's really interesting to see that one of the most powerful forms that they've used is a circle dance called a hokai. It's a call and response. A poetic form where the caller is creating on the fly using this very strict poetic form, improvising, and then people repeat after him. The steps are very simple, but the church is using that for baptisms and celebrations, and it's just very exciting to see how they can adapt and use these forms for God's glory. You can't do that for us, Katie. You can't, you can't call for us, Katie. <laughs> no, I sure can't. Let me tell you, it's high art. It is yes. incredible levels of high art to be able to do that. That's one of the breakout questions, and it is, do missionaries destroy cultures? And I know that you can find that, and there have been a lot of books and novels that have been written about that very thing, about the harm that missionaries have done when they go in. Um, how, if I asked you that, Mariam, do missionaries destroy cultures? What would you say? At the beginning, yes. Like almost maybe if I talk about Ethiopia, maybe those who came 50, 60 years ago, maybe they didn't know what to do with a mission or when they come to a different culture. And they did that because some of the music or some of the musical instruments People are still not using because the missionaries came and told them, you cannot use this. Hmm. But now it changed because now missionaries are more aware of what's going around the world. And now they're like, okay, yes, if it's from the church, made by the church people, and we pray, we dedicate, yes, now we can use it for the God's glory. Earlier it was, but now they're changing a lot. 
That's Mariam Johannes, who's joining us at the back fence today, and Dr. James Craybill and Dr. Robin Harris. And I promise we're going to get to your calls straight ahead, 877-548-3675. You can find out more about the Moody Bible Institute Missions Conference online. We have it linked at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. been talking about CareNet for the past few months, and their desire is to help women and men choose life, not just for the unborn, but also for themselves, to be able to begin a relationship with God through Christ as they go through an unplanned pregnancy. That's where the real change happens. But one of the observations about abortion in this country is the the pro-life initiatives that failed in November or different areas around the country were because Christians didn't vote. They, they split their vote for that. So Karenet really wants to focus on those inside the church to get us all on the same page about life. And if you click the green Karenet button, you can see news, you can see encouragement about changed lives, saved lives, something like more than a million since 2008, a million babies since 2008. Amazing. And there are resources to read or download absolutely free. Click the green CareNet button today at chrisfabrylive.org. Again, chrisfabrylive.org and click CareNet today. With our guests in the studio, we have, uh, let's see if I can, it's Gwen, Gwen in Cleveland. Hi, Gwen, go right ahead. Hi there. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Sure thing. Um, I was wondering, I know that you're talking something about trauma. I was wondering, is it best when people go, are traumatized, if they go to like a support group or a therapist and just talk about what has happened, or is it better that they just listen to find out how they can handle or come out of the trauma? All right. Uh, Miriam, why don't you start? Sure. The best way to do that is to get training through uh trained facilitators uh you cannot just go mariam we're not we're not hearing you exactly on the mic there's the microphone yeah sorry so the best way to do that is to get help with trained facilitators so if you go to trauma healing uh, institute website you're able to check it through and see those who are near you or you can just email them or call them and then have a session with them. If they're not trained, they really will have even have more damage than they're going to help. Hmm. So it's really good to have somebody who knows uh, what they're doing, especially listening, asking the right questions, and going through the traumatic process instead of just jumping from one process to another. Dr. Harris, anything to add to that? Yes, um, and Mariam is dealing with a context where you just can't go to a trained therapist. I mean, in any of these really urban contexts that uh, trauma healing happens all over the world, 
you're not going to be able to access a trained therapist. Obviously, that's that's a great option, but when you don't have that, uh, this peer-to-peer kinds of trauma healing is really important. And we have found that the use of arts and trauma healing, just uh, especially these oral story-based things and all the kinds of arts that you can use, are really touch people deeply, especially when they can't um, talk about the trauma. Using the arts helps them to express it uh, in ways that is very healing for them. So, yeah. Hope that Great helps. question. Yeah, thanks, Gwen. Keith is in Iowa. Keith, go right ahead. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, I had some something encouraging for you. Ready for some encouragement? <laughs> I am. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, I'm a I've been a longtime member of the Salvation Army, and I wanted to tell you an inspiring thing: how music came into the Salvation Army. Uh, William Booth that founded the army. Around the time of around the time of Deal Moody at this, those things going on in London, he saw four musicians on the street in London. They were playing drinking songs, and he took uh, tunes and he turned them to put gospel words to the tunes. Hmm. That's how music started in the Salvation Army. And today, we have organized music camps all over the all over the country, train kids in music, but at the same time. They hear the gospel. They hear the gospel message, you know, in in devotions and things like that. I've heard the same thing about listening. like like songs like "Amazing Grace" that they started in a place where you know wasn't a real good place to go, but because it was popular and the the tune was known, then it translated into uh, you know the, the music that now we know and this changed life of John Newton. Uh, Doctor Harris, anything to add to that? It's really funny. I would say that that story about from the Salvation Army is a good example of ethnodoxology. And one of the principles of ethnodoxology is that it applies to any place, any time. What we want to see is every Christian responding to God with uh, with you know, whatever, whatever creativity they have. And so that's in North American churches, here at home, in multi-ethnic churches. Um, uh, really, ethnodoxology is for everyone. I was reading Psalm 136 today. Keith, thank you. Uh, It repeats this phrase. It almost looks like a hymn, but at the end of every uh, stanza or verse, it says, His steadfast love endures forever. Again and again, His steadfast love endures forever. Have you seen the steadfast love of God enduring through the years, through the work? Uh, James, let me start with you. So this last year, uh, we celebrated 20 years of ethnodoxology, um, and it just continues to grow uh, as more and more people, like I said, a lot of it started with sort of linguistic and musical backgrounds, but it's expanding and exploding into so many different areas. Um, it was also sort of a Western-driven uh, thing, but increasingly there are large numbers of local people around the world who are doing things and showing us what this needs to look like. 
So um, that's that's one of the big things I think that's happened. I, and some of it, some of it is just noting, for example, that the origins of the Salvation Army are already working with ethnodoxological mm-hmm. pr- principles. So wherever people connect to their arts throughout history, uh, we see change happening. Yes. Mariam, uh, one more question for you. What are the Moody students saying to you, asking you? Are they excited about what you're talking about? They really are. They were like, I want to do this in the future too. How can I do it? So it's really amazing to see uh, them asking those questions. Dr. Harris, is that your experience as well? Yes, the Moody students and the faculty have just been amazing this week. I don't think any of us have ever experienced such a live audience. They're enthusiastic. They come up afterwards and they have questions. Where can I go to study this? You know, how can I get involved? It has been absolutely fabulous. We're in love with Moody. Well, um, answer that question. Where do they go to study it? Uh, Dallas International University is is one place, right? Absolutely. We have, you know, the MA there and the PhD. We also offer um, a certificate and an MA concentration in arts and trauma healing. Um, so there's lots of graduate work you can do or certificate work. SIL also offers trauma healing uh, training uh, all, all around the world, and it's all connected to the Trauma Healing Institute that's run out of the American Bible uh, Society. So you can look up Trauma Healing Institute or you can go to SIL Trauma Healing, or if you want to do like a grad, a grad program or a grad certificate, then you can go to DIU. Is there, um, and we're almost out of time, real quickly, is there uh, reticence to support, you know, I'm going to send you to Ethiopia to do ethnomusicology, or is it, do people catch that vision easily, or do you have to explain it to them? Mariam? Uh, First, we have to explain it to them, because they're like, I don't know what, so like, Robin was saying this on Tuesday all the time, ethno what? So, yeah, but once they get it, once they understand it, they're up for it. Yeah. Yeah, praise God. I'm so glad that you joined us. We only scratched the surface of this, but I want to thank you for your hearts and for it. We prayed before we went on here. There'd be somebody driving down the road who's had this knocking at the door of their heart that they want to be involved, but don't know what it looks like. And just hearing a little bit of your stories is going to open the door. So thank you, Mariam Johannes, for being with us today, Dr. James Crable, and Dr. Robin Harris. You can find out more about them, and you can actually see some of the sessions at Moody's Missions Conference at the website. We have a link right there at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks, friends, for being here. Thank you for listening today. Go to the website. You can find out more about us. Support us. Find those links. And don't forget to come back tomorrow for the fabulous Fabry Friday Sigh and a a program that I think you're going to really enjoy with Arlene Pelicane. Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.